verses 1 to 6. We consider just briefly one verse from Jeremiah chapter 6, and that is verse 6. Isaiah chapter 1, the scripture says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which is concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzzah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken, nursed, and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know my people, doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord, and they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Will ye revolt more and more? The whole head is sick. And the whole heart sinks, from the sole of the foot even unto the head. Stop our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless. most particularly the words of where it says the ox knoweth his owner and the ass no my people doth not consider I'm entitling our time today think about it because I think that that is in many ways in short form what the Lord is calling his people to do. The message of God to his people through the words of Isaiah begins with the Lord calling on for his word nor wisdom 
about the things of God. So we see that the Lord calls for the heavens and the earth to give their ears to what he is going to say about a very foolish and in fact very rebellious people. The inference is that as the heavens and earth learn of the situation that exists in the hearts of those to whom God has been gracious, that they will lend their voices in condemnation of such men as well as there may be weeping at such folly. The Lord also points to the simple sense of the beasts of burden whose have is a great beast whose brawn is great but whose brains are challenged. The ox doesn't know much. He is, for lack of better terms, pretty dumb. An ox could stand for a whole day in the same spot and not realize. Yet, says the Lord, when it comes time to work, he has sense enough to know the voice of his owner and responds. The huge beast works at the pleasure of his master. The Lord also points to the mule. It is true that the mule has more intelligence than the ox, but there are some traits that he has that have brought into our vocabulary the word mulish. He is stubborn and he is willful. He also can be a very wary and in some ways you might even want to use the term suspicious creature. Some say that mules and donkeys make good watchdogs. But even for his mulishness, the Lord says that even this animal has enough sense to know where he needs to be in order to get fed. But sadly, the implication is that the people to whom the Lord speaks is not even as thoughtful as the donkey. The mind and hearts of the people which saw the wonders of the hand of God do not think. They do not think. They do not have a right mind to do what is right. They do not have a mind to do what will be even good for them. So, why does the Lord bring this point up at the very beginning of his message to his people in the book of Isaiah? Why does the Lord say that the people doth not consider? Is there something foundational about this matter? Well, the answer is an emphatic yes. I'm going to suggest this as our theme, and then we'll consider what we have before us. I suggest as our subject that what a man thinks about in his mind, particularly about the Lord and and determines how he will act. What a man thinks about the Lord and his will defines who he is 
and determines how he will act. Now I suggest to you that we have three parts to the Lord's message here at the very beginning of this prophecy. And so we'll take these parts in order. I want us to consider first that the Lord presents an issue. He presents the issue that he must deal with uh, with these people. Now we could imagine that the list of issues that the Lord would want to take up with people at the outset of this great book would be very long and very pointed. And we could imagine that the Lord would point to such great destructive evils as, number one, idolatry. Certainly that is a great evil. The Lord mentions this great sin not very much later in the book, in chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord says, Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their own fingers have made. So he does deal with the subject of idolatry. The Lord does at other points come to his people and tell them to turn from the filth of idolatry. In Ezekiel chapter 14, in verse 6 it says, Therefore unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Repent from does not mention idolatry at the beginning of this book. Second, he also does not deal with error. The Lord does not speak of false prophets or false doctrine. He does at other points deal with these subjects. He deals with those who speak falsely in his name and the willingness of the people to follow such error. He is very pointed on that, particularly in the book of Jeremiah. Further, the Lord does not speak about the people's ignorance. There could be much said about the lack of knowledge of the ways of God. But the Lord does not condemn because they did not know what they should have known. There's not an excuse for us not to know the will and the mind of God, but these people were not condemned of God at the beginning of the, of the book because of this. I will also point out that the Lord does not condemn these people because of their immorality. Other instances of Israel's rebuke by the Lord were to deal with the awful sins of immorality that had corrupted the people. In fact, much harm had come to Israel. Even plagues had come to Israel because of their immorality. Perhaps you can think of the time when Israel was dancing around the golden calf and the things that went on there, or when the people followed after the gods of Moab and the immorality of that people. Other instances of that sort, but the Lord does not deal with them about that. And also the Lord does not deal with these people about their lack of instruction. There have been times when Israel had not taught her children and as such, there arose generations that went after the ways of the heathen. None of these issues were mentioned until later in this book. And they were certainly dealt with in other places by the Lord's servants.
or his word. The point that God is making and that he is illustrating is that the people refused to think about what he had commanded or what he had called Now this may be seen as a purpose act of rebellion. They may have turned the deaf ear or stopped them so as to ignore what they were told. It is certainly seen in scripture that the people of God often are guilty of turning their backs on the Lord and demanding their own way. I'm sure that you can think of instances, one that popped into my mind immediately was when Israel stood before Samuel and with defiant minds and hearts said, we will have a king over us. Oh yes. For the people of God to stop to stop their thinking I'm reading In fact, I'm done with it, probably. I've through and read the rest of this chapter. I was going to speak on this this morning. I probably, if I had done that, we probably would have been here until this afternoon. But there's a number of things that he suggests there. I'm not quoting him at all points. But there are some key thoughts that he makes concerning the people of God and their lack of thinking. Thinking on what the Lord has instructed and I'm going to share some of these things with you, though, as I said, I will paraphrase. And many of these things are my conclusions based on. Godly, unsaved man, because it's such a. Those men do not consider them. about the ungodly. We're talking about those to be the God. The problem, the issue that we're dealing with here is one that affects the church of God. But in this instance, as we would have to say that there comes times when the people of God turn their minds and hearts away from the Lord and to themselves and to their own ways and to their wants and to their at the there are things that happen in their hearts because of that. We'll think about that in just a moment. But Ryle, in considering how is it that somebody could have his thinking directed in a way that's not really in keeping with the ways of God, he says this Do men choose the evil path? Rarely do believers actively choose the evil path. The stigma of evil or the embarrassment of what is being embraced keep men from running outright into the arms of wickedness. 
rather, coming to the place of tolerance and even enjoyment of what displeases comes to men who do not think. So his point that I would suggest to you is this, that there is not the thinking honestly. There is a ceasing of honest heart thinking on a man's way. Therefore, do not think about submitting to God or His will. Minds are on that which draws them. There's the point. Men give themselves to thinking on the things that are other than of God. And beyond that, there is the refusal to think on the things of God. And there is the angry heart that flames up at having the word of God or the will of God brought to them. How dare you talk to me about this? How dare you question me on this? How dare you tell me that there's some way that is a better way than the way that I am going? I am at liberty or whatever else there is. In short, and here's the point, when men's minds become saturated with their own ways and and the things which their flesh enjoys, there is in reality the witness outwardly that to them God is in the way. Well, the situation goes on from there, as we went infer from our reading. The acts of the heart that leave off thinking about the Lord will lead to practice of actions that seem pleasing to these. But once a man begins the practice of actions that are fleshly, those practices will soon become habits. And those habits will eventually lead to a miserable state of heart. And soon those habits will become second nature. And once a man is in this place, there's little thought of a way back. The thoughts are in one direction only. What pleases me? And when confronted by man or conscience about the issue, the response is either excuse or I have a reason or it's a blaming of others. Now, it might be enough that the Lord simply comes to those that say He is their God and tells them that they have dishonest and corrupt hearts. The Lord could rebuke for the turning of the mind to the, all the things that the old man loves. But the Lord, more than that, points to a very plain an open outcome for those whose hearts become fixed on their selves and their wants. And so we read that in verse 5 and verse 6, most particularly verse 6, from the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores They have not been closed 
neither bound up nor neither mollified with ointment. See, why do you point this out? Let me just ask you a question. Are you miserable? Are you unhappy? Are you darkened in your heart and spirit? What's the problem? Let me tell you this. The problem for you is not, as many would suggest, that you just lack a positive thought about the Lord. We could gather and we could talk about all the positive things that have to do with what the Lord has done and what He is to us. The issue is that you are most likely in a place that you have too many thoughts about yourself. And you see God as in your way. He's not giving you what you want. So you doubt, you disbelieve, and you murmur. God is not in your thoughts and a result. You one more thing that you think that will satisfy you and then you'll find he doesn't do it. Because you have forgotten the Lord your God. You have turned your mind and your heart away from him and you have concluded that God is in your way. Being given to the Lord Jesus is a hindrance. That's the issue. Because Lord says you've given yourself over to thinking only about yourself and what you want, the things that would appeal to you in this life, and you have forgotten the Lord your God, and you're not walking according to the ways of the Lord. You're not walking according to His judgments. You may congratulate yourself that you are, but your life says otherwise. And you know in your heart that you're filled with sores in your heart. That's the issue. That's what God starts this book, this massive book of Isaiah. He starts it with this. Here's the biggest issue that plagued my people. Well, I want us to see, secondly, then, the imperative. The imperative. Let's at this point acknowledge a truth that Solomon makes concerning the hearts and minds of men. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says very plainly, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think, or you're not thinking, in the case of what the Lord is saying here, but as you think, as you set your heart, as you set your mind, as you do these things in your heart, that's how you are, that's, that's who you are. The Lord Jesus also makes the point in Matthew 15 that as a man thinks, so goes his heart, and then his actions. There's a very powerful point here that calls into view the truth that if a man is to find himself free from the bondage of heart that brings the wounds 
and sores of soul, the whole matter begins with a change in the mind. Now, I am not talking about psychology. The opposite is true. Psychology approaches the mind as men stand in their unregenerated state. But if a man and it is a new creature, the writing of thought always precedes the writing of action, not the other way around. Let me illustrate. The Lord gives us an example of exactly... You know what we find there. It is the example of the prodigal son. And the Lord explains how the prodigal leaves his father's home and he goes off and lives in riotous living and so forth. And as a result of that which he seeks for himself, his way of life, he ends up in the pigsty with the pigs, envying. Now here's the point. He's envying the pigs. Oh, I wish I had what the pigs had. What kind of thinking is that? He is in his worst possible state at this moment. He is filled with spiritual wounds and bruises and sores. There's the picture of a broken man. But Luke 15, 17 says, And when he came to himself. He said, how many, how many higher shepherds of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? So there it is. There was a working in the thinking of this wayward son. He thought on the way of his father's house. He thought on his father's heart. And it brought him to action. His arising and setting out had not changed his thinking, but rather there was a recovery of reason. Now, I mentioned to you that we were going to consider Jeremiah chapter 6. In verse 16 of Jeremiah 6, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Jeremiah 6 says that we are to stand in the way to seek and to ask. This is not action called for, but rather a remembrance. It is thinking. Thinking. Isaiah later says to Israel, In chapter 51, verse 1, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye were hewn. Ye were hewn. Here's the point. There has been a lack of consideration of the Lord and His truth. When we go without God in all our thoughts, we will become full of sorrow.
people, what does that mean? Let me suggest to you a few what it means to come to yourself. First, the prodigal was brought to the place of being completely humbled. He says within himself that he and his life were filled with misery. He was filled with wounds and bruise and purifying sores. He came to the place where he honestly recognized what his life really was. And he humbled himself. There was no trying. Notice, with the prodigal, there was no effort to make an excuse for himself. Nor did he try to redefine his life so that it would not look so bad. My point is that no man has ever come to right thinking that leads him back to the place. No man ever without a humble confessing of having turned out of the way. Unless you're willing and able to say what has happened you are, what has brought you there, without excuse, without redefinition, you will not find your way back to where you really need to be. It was first a complete humbling to confess things as they were. Second, the prodigal remembered in honesty, again I underscore this, he remembered in honesty what the state was at home. Now, before he left on his journey, the prodigal loathed his home, he loathed his father. He hated it. There was something. The father... Let me put it this way. His father got in his way. And he had had enough. So give me what's mine and I'm on my way. But when he is in the pigsty and he reflects honestly, he remembers honestly, he comes to the point, you know what, that was not, that was not the case at all. That's not the way it was. Every man who would come back to the Lord for healing of heart must come to see that the Lord is full of love and that His blood alone is the answer. Not anything that has to do with, with self. Self-reformation, self-education, self-strengthening. or what? It, No. There is an honest remembering. Now, wait a minute. Here's who the Lord really is. Here's what He does. Here's what I am. Here's where I find myself. And I remember in honesty what I am before God, but what the Lord is for me. Third, the prodigal had to get up and get out of the pigsty. You say, well, there's an obvious point, but here's the thing. You can't be helped if you stay in the filth. And so many of God's people want what they find from the hand of, the God, of God. Good, but they're not willing to get out of the pigsty. They want what the filth of the world is offering. I like it. Well, you're not going to make your way back to the Father. You're not going to make your way back into that which heals your soul while you're wanting to stay in the sty. 
And let me underscore this too. The saint doesn't come to the place of right thinking without help. The Lord knows this, so he gives us the help of the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to come to the place where you're able to get up and get out of the sty by yourself. The Holy Spirit brings the power of the word to our hearts. He opens our hearts to see the truth about ourselves, but also about the Lord Jesus. And he reminds us of what has been found from the hand of the Lord so far. And this is not what happens with a man who bethinks himself? So my last point is the inevitable. We see the issue, we have the imperative. What I call the inevitable. I will but ask this to the possible in the end. And the happens, are we told, in Jeremiah 6 to those who will stand and think and turn to the right way? Well, Jeremiah says that we'll find rest. In other words, the Lord will restore. But you say, how is this an inevitability here? What? How is this fitting your head in? Well, the point is this. What is inevitable is that God will not fail to bring you healing. When this occurs, when there is a change of mind and heart, and there is coming back to the Lord, the Lord will not fail to bring you healing. Now, I will say this. The end, or what you see as a product of that healing, might not be what you imagine, but it will be a restoration to what the Father in Heaven wants. You think about it with me. The prodigal was restored. He did not imagine, though, what it was the Father was going to do. That was something that didn't even enter into his thinking. What he received from the hand of the Father was so much more than he could ever have hoped for. He thought that he would end up as a servant. When you come back to the Lord, the inevitable thing that the Lord will restore, that he'll lift you back to the place where you need to be. You may not be able to imagine on this side of things what it is that the Lord will prove for you in that day. But I will say this. I don't know how many times we read in the scripture when David was in a hard place or there was something that was against him that made him conclude, you know, the Lord may be dealing with me in a hard way. But David's comment seems to always be the same. Whatever he seems to think is good. Restore me. Whatever. It brings me to that place. 
clean heart, a renewing of the right spirit, whatever he says. Are you unhappy? Is the day really dark? Are you finding yourself wishing at every moment that your life would be completely different than it is now? Well, let me say this. Good chance that your thinking is not on the Lord. You're not remembering. You're not considering. My people doth not consider that maybe you But if there is a changing of the mind and heart, if there's a coming to, to yourself, as it were, with the help of the Spirit of God, all that can change. And you find yourself in the place where there's been healing. There's been changing. The things look entirely different. amongst us for Jesus' sake. Let's all pray. Father, now I pray that you would be that which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Do within us, O God, that lasting work which is to be those who are fit for the master's use. All before that we ask for the helping of our God, the ministering of our Savior in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.